Welcome to the Scale Up Your Business podcast. In this podcast, we talk about what it takes to go from startup to scale up and beyond. How to significantly grow your business, create freedom, build wealth, and live life on your terms. Featuring some very special guests and experts to give you advice and direction on your journey. And now, introducing your host, entrepreneur, investor, and scale-up specialist, Nick Bradley. Hi, everyone. It's Nick, and welcome to Scale Up Your Business for this week. Wow. I can't believe how quickly these episodes are racking up. We are very, very close to Scale Up Your Business 100th episode. And I'm not going to announce anything yet, but I've got some conversations in play because I'm trying to get someone pretty special on the show to... uh, to serve you guys, to help you guys, and also to celebrate that milestone. So keep listening if you're enjoying it. And as I said, the 100th episode is coming up very soon. On that, if you are enjoying Scale Up Your Business, please go to Apple Podcasts, uh, subscribe if you haven't, uh, leave a review. Um, I like to hear everything, the good, the bad, the ugly. It doesn't bother me. You know, Let me know what you think of the show. I listen, listen to all the feedback. I read all the reviews and I make sure that I can you know, make the show as as good as I possibly can, because ultimately it is for you guys. And just another couple of quick announcements. Um, the Business Growth Accelerator that we run, um, the Scale Up Your Business Growth Accelerator, is now full. Uh, the next cohort will not start until August. And um, what's happening with these is that we're starting to get more and more interest in these because obviously I think people are starting to feel a li- little bit more certain post-COVID, post the environment that we're in, and people are starting to think that they want to invest in their business now so they can get get the, the bounce back that's going to happen as, as things start to come back to some form of normal. So if that's for you, reach out. As I said, there's there's no spaces left now for the cohort that's starting in June, but we will have one in August. So it's a few months away, but it's best to start having those conversations early. And if it's for you, that's great. We can have a conversation and see if we can get you organized for that. And lastly, I've got three spaces remaining in my one-to-one mentoring program. Now that's one-to-one with me working specifically focused on your business. I'll tell you now it's rough and ready and I'll tell you now that I don't work with anybody. Okay, so it's one of those situations where I hold you to account. We get stuff done at a level you probably haven't experienced before and it's one of those situations where for me it's all about results. So again, if that's a fit for you, if you're thinking now is the time I want to come back and slingshot back and get everything working in my business, to take advantage of things picking up again, then get in touch. As I said, there are three spaces remaining because I don't work with that many people at any one time. But that's enough rambling from me for today. Let me introduce you to today's guest. So I am delighted to have on Scale Up Your Business, Sean Callagy. Now, Sean is an incredible guy. It's one of those funny situations where I've been wanting to have Sean on for a while and then our schedules didn't line up and then we had the conversation quite recently and I say, that, you know, it's an interview, yes, but this this was very much about two people with similar values coming together. I mean, Sean is an entrepreneur. He's a national speaker, philanthropist, one of America's top trial attorneys. He's the creator of various peak performance technologies. Oh, and he's legally blind. Yeah, that's right. He's blind. And he's had some amazing business successes. He's sold a couple of law firms for, you know, literally into the plus seven figure range, if not more. And he's had some of the biggest uh, sort of wins, if you like, sort of trial wins in American history. And we'll talk about that on today's show. But the thing I like about Sean is he's really, really humble. 
I mean, I say slow down to speed up and just just listen to the conversation today because you'll hear a guy who's very much in tune with who he is. He's got the balance right in terms of achievement and fulfillment. He's looking to help people. And his life's work actually is, and he'll talk about this quite eloquently, is what he calls integrity-based human influence. He runs a business now called Unblinded. And integrity-based human influence is effectively how you guide someone from hello to yes, with less friction, less frustration, and in less time. So it's about communication. It's about selling. It's about how you, you know, I talk about creating customers. It's very much his view on that. And even though today is a, it's just a great conversation between myself and Sean, I'd like you to listen into how he thinks about creating value through selling, collaboration, and partnership, because it's a very unique philosophy. And it's one that just works really, really well. We get into that today. And the last thing I want to say about Sean is that I've had some amazing, amazing guests on Scale Up Your Business. And some of them are, you know, they can be quite challenging to interview. Some of them are just really easy because I said, we just, we just kind of connect. And for me, you know, Sean is very much the latter. So many different experiences, but so many commonalities. And as I said, he's a humble guy. I want you to listen to his story really deeply in fact, it might be one of those times where you go back and listen to it a few times over just to hear exactly what, he, what he's done, because I'm not going to get into it, but I say a lot about how you need to step up and show up, and he's absolutely done that. And if anyone lives to the mantra, mantra be grateful, be brave, have faith and show up, then Sean certainly fits the bill. So enough rambling from me today. Welcome to Scale Up Your Business, Sean Calgary. Hi, everybody. It's Nick here, and welcome to another episode of Scale Up Your Business. I am delighted to have on the show with me today, Sean Callagy. He's an entrepreneur, national speaker, philanthropist, one of America's top trial attorneys, online personality, and creator of various peak performance technologies, and he's legally blind, a warrior, an adventurer, and his most recent venture, Unblinded, is disrupting the world of sales by teaching integrity-based human influence. So we're going to get into all of that today to Sean. So welcome to Scale Up Your Business. Thank you. Hey, Nick, thank you for having me here. And thank you, fine folks, for listening. Thank you. Right. Well, listen, there's so much in this. And I've kind of done a bit of research, as I do before people come on the show, just to kind of get a sense of who they are. Um, but let's kick this off. I want to start with, with the obvious one that jumps out, legally blind warrior and adventurer. And firstly, legally blind. I mean, do you want to tell us a story? Kind of, you know, how did you, did, were, you were you born blind or did you, something that happened over, over your life? Yeah, so thanks for asking, Nick. Um, I have a condition called retinitis pigmentosa. My grandfather had it. It's her, a hereditary degenerative eye condition. My mom knew when I was five. I was told when I was 16. I was an athlete growing up. Um, I had no real impact. I was, uh, had hoped to play professional baseball. Was captain of my collegiate baseball team at Columbia University in New York. And I was, um, yeah, like hoping to get drafted. But just as I hit that 21-year-old age point, I started having some, you know, real tiny uh, changes in my vision that affected me seeing fly balls at night. And that was the end of my hope to play professionally. And um, it continued to degenerate throughout my entire life. Uh, so on a, about eight years ago, um, I stopped driving. And today I can't see this, can't see you, can't see anything here. I do have some, um, like something wide peripheral. So it, it's, um, I'm able to move in space. Um, wow. I just got surfing a bit ago, uh, earlier today. Yeah. I ski black diamonds. Um, can't see though anything in front of me. 
can see uh, peripherally. Like I can't see my finger here, 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 here. I have it back like over here a little bit. Wow. Okay. So you're not missing much by not seeing me. So don't worry too much about that. <laughs> but um, so man, so so it must be unbelievable to, to be able to see, to see properly, I assume, when you were younger to obviously now yeah. that being a big challenge. But but I know that mindset and belief and overcoming fears is a big part of who you are. So just take us through kind of, you know, what you've done, because I know there was a, a couple of different sort of pivots in your career and things like that. So I'd like to understand you as the as the person, as the entrepreneur as well? Yeah. So uh, from an entrepreneurial um, space, I had no idea um, that entrepreneurship was even a thing uh, until I was 27. So I went to an Ivy League undergrad. Uh, I graduated law school with honors and literally Nick and everybody had no concept of business, no idea of sales, no idea of marketing. And I don't know, somehow delusionally, and this is a, a challenge to the traditional educational system in the world, I sort of thought just you work really hard and people who work hard uh, succeed. And I didn't even understand what working hard really meant. I was an athlete. I knew what working hard meant there. Uh, I worked very hard in law school, got that. Um, and I was working hard as an attorney, understood that. What I didn't understand was the people who were free had the time, the scale, the magic, the leverage, the passion, the emotional context that they wanted to experience. Those were the folks that could generate business and work and lead. I had no idea. I knew how to lead, um, and I did lead growing up, but I had no idea that there was a relationship and a correlation between that leadership and sales and that leadership and marketing. And at first, when I discovered it, I was sick and I couldn't believe it mattered because the last thing in the world I wanted to do was sell or market anything. And to condense the story, I was opened up to the world of personal development. I realized that I had lived personal development through my incredible mentors and coaches and uh, people in my family, parents and grandparents my whole life. I came to the conclusion that personal development is just an extension of everything we do from the time that we're born. But it gave me a language around concepts of leverage, of scale, of marketing, sales. And then I also realized how overwhelming that entire world was. So I quit my job, um, $100,000 in debt, six months out of law school. My dream job, actually, this brilliant, large law firm. And I started my own law firm on my credit card. And I said, listen, I'm going to find out as an experiment, the same way I did as an athlete, the same way I figured out how to like hack law school, if there's the same type of way that people could do things much more efficiently. And I built a 40-person law firm in two years. Uh, I couldn't believe it worked. I couldn't believe that I went from like desperately afraid, scared, wanting to quit every single day for the first six months and probably the first year to being uh, in a completely different economic space in my life and had a multiple seven figure exit um, for that firm. Um, it was my firm, I had no equity partners. Then I, I built um, a coaching and training company, helping people do the same, um, had a really remarkable degree of success, but realized that in that space, I was much more of a business operator than owner. And now we're back in 2003, four, five, uh, transitioned out of that business uh, successfully and started a second law firm. So I can lead my greatest passion in life, uh, which was coaching and training my kids in their athletic endeavors and life overall. Uh, so I attended over a thousand of my children's sporting events. I missed nine total uh, events for my kids in their growing up years. Uh, they're now a sophomore in college, junior and senior in high school, and still the focus of my existence. And I have a law firm as a business owner, not operator. It's 125 employees. I still have it. And I created Unblinded, which was something I intended to do 
since 2003 when I sold the law firm. And I wanted to create um, a mechanism that created disruptions in the space of networking, coaching, selling, and even marketing. And that's what I'm up to in the world today. And things are uh, thankfully with some incredible people and teammates going quite well. Wow. Awesome. So to jump back a bit into that story. So thank you for sharing that. Um, I didn't know what entrepreneurship was. <laughs> and then you yeah. just articulated. And I listen, I get some really quite you know successful entrepreneurs on this show, as you can imagine. You've just articulated a fantastic entrepreneurial journey. So the question I've got for you is, what was the change? So you gave up your dream job. You realized it maybe wasn't the right thing for you. There was a shift. What, what sparked that? Yeah. Uh, my chiropractor said, read Awaken the Giant Within by Tony Robbins. <laughs> uh, I did. And Tony Robbins taught me two things. One, how to control my fear. And second, um, control was a big word. How to dance with and leverage my fear is probably better. Um, and second, how to model um, other successful people. That led to me reading the work of Jay Abraham. Um, and that taught me the exponentiality of time and marketing and money. And I had no optics on any of these things. And I just started. And then a third book was how to make a fortune from public speaking that I bought for a dollar at a garage sale. And I synthesized the information, um, my control of my fear, what I was learning from Jay, what I learned from that book, and then started to expand and read other things. And it was on. And I couldn't believe, I had never thought about Nick that in a capitalist structure, our time and our money have such a potential impact. Now, I don't think you need money to be happy. Um, I do think that you don't need time freedom necessarily to be happy, but there's um, dynamics that they, they can affect in very meaningful ways. Ultimately, I think everybody wants to feel happy, to feel magical, feel the, the emotional states that they truly desire, but there is, there is a relationship there with money and time. So uh, it, it awakened me to that. Um, and and I'll, I'll say as a footnote, I would have dream, dreamt of an autograph from Tony Robbins and Jay Abraham back in the late 90s. And uh, today I've had the privilege of speaking on Tony Robbins stage at their last six events. Um, I've sat in a hot tub in his backyard in Idaho. Um, I text and communicate with Jay Abraham regularly. He's spoken on stage at my event. And and all of that uh, is far less impressive, I'm sure, than many of the accomplishments of the entrepreneurs you have on here. Um, but to me, what success is truly about is how you create the life that you desire. Yeah, and, absolutely. Uh, yeah, and I, and I think my life isn't perfect, but um, I've worked really hard at creating the most optimal version of it I can. And I'm really thankful for um, that chiropractor giving me that book and the journey yeah. I've been on. And it shows, mate, just by your persona and the way you're speaking. And to be honest, every single conversation here, every every conversation I have with someone where they have a message to share is an important message. And I often say that I've built this podcast one conversation at a time because, you know, even if the message went to one person, it's meaningful, right? So what's fascinating about that is I, my, my epiphany and my transition to what I do now was also from a collective inspiration from Mr. Tony Robbins. <laughs> Very right? much. Yeah. Yeah, I'll share. I mean, a lot of a lot of my listeners know the story, but I, I'll, I'll give it to you quickly. I, I was doing hardcore private equity for a long time, made quite a lot of money doing that as you do, but yeah. it was very much following a pathway of significance and trying to get to the top of something, which I wasn't quite sure what the top was, but it felt like it was the right place to be. Mm -hmm. And uh, one night I had a, 
a, a situation where I went to bed and I literally cracked all the teeth in my right side of my jaw because I was so stressed with a deal that we were working on. Next day, I um, called up a good mate of mine and he said, you've got to get to a Tony Robbins event. And I booked the next one I could. I flew to Chicago, cried for three, four days, literally, because I was getting a lot of unpacking, wow. uh, a lot of stuff, and came yeah. back and changed everything. So short. And when was that, Nick? That was about three years ago now. And oh actually, my, my it wasn't that long in the past. No, no. I mean, I had this, uh, you know, it, you know, you, the way I talk about this quite a lot. The, the difference between scale up your business and a lot of podcasts is as much as it's about business, it's also about the mindset and the heart set. So mm. I talk about business being three things. It's your mindset, your heart set and skill set. If you can put all of those things together, you make the best decisions and you have the competency to be able to do things. And mm. what you just described is actually all of those things in the way that you did it. So it's very powerful. So, um, so yeah, so I, I like getting into this sort of stuff. So I've been doing it for about three years now, but the difference is this. I, beforehand, I was following something which was all about achievement, but I didn't have the fulfillment box ticked. Mm -hmm. And now that I'm, I'm offering something to the world to help people, then that makes a big difference to everything. Yeah. And Nick, you know, um, we don't know each other, um, but I am very connected to people's authenticity and energy. And you just resonate as an amazing human being that's like just here to create goodness. And, you know, thank you for that. And I feel that. Thank you. I appreciate that. It's always hard to hear things like that, by the way, but I do appreciate it. So, <laughs> so thank you. But this is, I want to get more into your story because you said so many different things there, which are really, really powerful. L let's jump into the entrepreneurship piece for a bit there, because, you know, you said beforehand there was the, the fear. And mm -hmm. was the fear based on the fact that you knew you were meant to do something else? but you chose the path. You said it was your dream job. So I'm trying to connect with the fact that it was your dream job. Was it something that you actually got there and when you realized you had it, it wasn't what it was right for you? Yeah, so to, to me, I, I now boil down all fear um, to two things, fear of failure and fear of rejection. Yeah. So I think for me, um, I, I didn't want to be an attorney. It was a disappointment to not move on to play professional baseball. It was broke my heart. Um, that's a strong word. It was incredibly painful and knowing that it was due to my eyesight. And so, you know, when I, when it, I say my dream job, it was my dream job once I had gone to law school. So I, I entered the track, like you were sharing, you know, when you were succeeding in the space of private equity, um, you're just on this track and you were rising in something. So in law school, it became this game, uh, process that you're in where it was like, hey, get the job from the biggest and the best firms. And that's just what everybody wanted to do. So I was like, oh, okay, this is what you do here? Okay, so like, it's like a sport. Like, this is the game we're playing. Get who has the most job interviews uh, with the highest quality firms and get the offers. And I won that game. So yeah, it was like, oh my God, thank you. Was, I felt so emotional. Like, I won the game. And then when I got there, I realized that there was not one person that worked there that I wanted to be. Not a one. <laughs> And I'm like, this is a problem. And I saw lots of other challenges. And I'm like, I was really scared. Um, I was scared to leave. Uh, I was actually going to quit. And I was going to become a high school teacher and baseball and football coach. Because I understood that. I understood what it felt like to impact lives um, by watching the coaches who impacted my life. You know, And my high school wrestling coach, by the way, was just on my daily huddle He's 80 years old. He's the winningest high school wrestling coach in New Jersey, which saw last week. That's how much I love and stay connected with my, my roots of high school and my family. I bought my beach house, which we're in. I have a couple here, 200 meters from my grandparents' uh, house. And like, I, I love connection, depth, gratitude. 
So none of that was present in this firm. And I was going to, again, go teach and coach. And I realized that I'm going blind. I have $100,000 of debt. And the money that a high school teacher makes, which is a beautiful, beautiful profession, was never going to get me out of debt. I I didn't know how I would ever even own a home. I didn't own one at that point. I lived in a tiny apartment and barely paid my law school loans on my legal salary, which was the second highest starting salary in the state of New Jersey for attorneys. And I was like still broke, right? And massively in debt. So yeah, when I, I decided to go ahead and quit and start my own firm, it was really based upon just seeing if that all this could work. And I was scared to death of, of uh, failing, of not being able to pay my bills, which I couldn't when I started. So I really did, you know, you know Tony Robbins uses the, the term or phrase today, like burn your boats. Uh, <laughs> I burned my boats, you know, I burned my boats. And I had no choice but forward. And it was uh, a brutal one year, but the payoff was incredible. And the payoff wasn't just the money. The payoff was really, and it, it's a cliche, but who I became in the process, what I learned, how I believed. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I often believe that a goal is something that you come from as opposed to something you work towards. And um, I love, I want to, I want to unpack that year for a second, but I just want to also make the comment that you also had additional leverage because, you know, most people might burn the boat and just worry about how they can pay the bills. But as you said there, you had the, the issue with your sites as well. So yeah. there's a point there where you had to make it happen. So Take me yeah. through that year. Take me through the year when you thought, you know what, it's going to be a hell year, but I need to make this work no matter what. What did you do? What was the, what was the process and how did you show up? Nick, um, I've done a lot of in- interviews in my life and nobody has asked me questions of this granular level. So I appreciate it. And I appreciate the depth of your listening. And I mean that okay. from my heart. Thank you. So that year, um, I, I quit. And Jay Abraham talked about concepts that began to stick with me, which were like preeminence how to make a fortune from public speaking, describe the power of speaking. And I began to, dis- to distill what I would call today a formula for how to create integrity-based influence and what to do with it. So very practically and tactically, I started a networking group. I joined BNI. And I very quickly, and, and this is with all respect to Ivan Meisner and BNI and you know all the beautiful things that have happened through it for people, I realized really quickly that this was a massively inefficient mechanism to scale and grow. Um, the idea of waiting for referrals from people, um, it, it was just like not happening. You know, I, I'd get a referral for some very small amount of legal work and I'm like, I'm, there's no way this is going to work. So I began to think about um, exponentiality leverage and strategic alliances, you know, concept from Jay Abraham. And putting this together, preeminence and public speaking, um, I started to ask people in my group different organizations they were part of and who they knew that brought speakers in. And I tried a couple of different things, but one of them was, uh, there was a chiropractor in my group. And I said, you know, went went through the model of, you know, um, adding value and thinking about what an organization would want. It was a tiny group of the Northern New Jersey Chiropractic Society. And I communicated with them. I think it took me four conversations that they said, yeah, you can come in and do a free talk. And I, I thought of the title. I thought of how to distinguish myself from typical attorneys. And I thought about their pain, not about me. Like, what's their pain? And their pain was um, getting paid by insurance companies. Um, it's a big pain in the US, big pain around the world, I'm sure. And so my talk was, you're at war and you don't even know it. And I had been learning and modeling speakers 
And I was clear that the first 30 seconds um, would be massively impactful. And so I created a very dramatic opening, um, had their attention, and I would, with respect, say created a scotoma, a blank spot from what they're, a blank spot in their thinking and listening, opened it up and shared with them. And that day, I generated, I think, 10 clients. And um, I, a short time later, was speaking in front of the entire state society in New Jersey. And we became counsel to the New Jersey State Chiropractic Society. And, you know, there's thousand plus chiropractors are part of it. And that, that relationship alone, what I would now call that ecosystem merger, that one ecosystem merger, what Jay Abraham would have called a strategic alliance, um, resulted in us creating industry in New Jersey that was residual, um, that, you know, has led to me collecting $400 million um, on behalf of medical providers in New York and New Jersey and some other states a little bit as well that we're now scaling franchising all these years later that I do in a passive part of our business, all because of the work of Jay and Tony and this book, How to Make a Fortune from Public Speaking and distilling it into a model and thinking consistently about what's the optimal use of my time, what's the optimal, you know, optimal leverage and scaling. And I sort of rinsed and repeat, but that first law firm was enormously based on helping medical providers collect money from insurance companies and then scaling that dynamic. So once I had the chiropractic world, we moved into orthopedic surgery world, eventually into hospital world. And yeah, and that's sort of how it went. But that first year, um, I had no money. And so I had to make these things happen fast. So there was a, another entrepreneurial twist, which was how do you resolve these cases in bulk in ways that other people can't because I didn't have the money to wait. And so um, you know, I was very blessed with a referral through the dynamics we just spoke about. And it was a, a chiropractor who was owed um, $2.5 million from a, a series of insurance companies. And um, I was able to convince him to give me a 30-day window uh, and no cost to him. And I told him all he had to do was pay me at the end whatever he thought was fair, that I want a 30-day window to see if I could take all the he was spending, you know, I don't know, $500,000 up to that point or $300,000 paying a giant law firm, I said, give me a shot. And I resolved the form in 30 days and delivered, um, actually with attorney's fees included, about $3 million to his home a month later. And that just changed my life. Um, and that was in that late in the first year of the firm. So all these pieces and steps along the way, you know, were just uh, very candidly entrepreneurial step to step to step to step to build up the model. Wow. I am so glad I asked, asked that question <laughs> because <laughs> you, just, you just unpacked so many principles uh, that I try and get across. I don't know how many times I've spoken about it on this show, but there's a couple of bits that I, I, really, I really kind of buy into and love. When you said beforehand, you, you were super focused on solving one problem. And, and the question I've got around that, particularly around the fact that you said that the insurance, the insurance piece particularly, did your law firm ever evolve I mean, obviously, you went into different customer segments. You mentioned that, but did it ever evolve away from that core, um, you know, foundational piece, or were you always solving that specific problem and you built that whole business up to, as you said, a multiple seven-figure exit, or did you diversify and become quite generic at some point, a, a more general law firm? Yeah, no, um, we kept that core focus, and in other divisions, we so we ex that first firm. We basically did that with one other and what grew out of it. So um, 
again, I, I am very particular about my language, but for the sake of our timing, I will use common language that doesn't vibrate to me um, positively, but I'll just use it for the sake of speed. Yep. There were upsells from that, like expansions of the, of the relationship. So those same people who had those problems collecting from insurance companies needed other legal services. So we had offshoots in litigation matters and other things that were, but always rooted to the core of that work for healthcare providers. Love it. And Love it. In my second firm, I scaled to 100 people working for the firm in two years, and it was still built on that same core, uh, not with chiropractors, with other medical professionals, you know, and it was about a you know, five, four year gap in between. So there was no restrictive covenants or anything like that in place. And I, I left the chiropractic society alone in, you know, in respect of the prior sale. Um, but we just built other, uh, we, we expanded into collecting money for healthcare providers, different types of providers and different uh, types of receivables. And then we also, you know, in each area, then the firm built, we created new relationships to be hyper um, hyper-focused, big word, focused in different areas to demonstrate our skill set, you know, quick final point, but also for fun, um, to demonstrate the power of integrity-based human influence and probably out of my own frustration and some desire for significance, you know, as we use that yeah, word, yeah. um, you know, I, um, felt like I had been sort of mislabeled as a great marketer, um, and not a great attorney necessarily, because I hadn't proven anything in the space. So I, you know, I think God drops brilliant opportunities into our lap. Um, and in 2014 and 16, um, I had two top 100 national jury verdicts in the US. And I was one of only two trial attorneys in America out of 1.2 million attorneys to be in the top 100 twice in that three-year period. Yeah, I so, remember seeing that. I, I saw one of the figures and I might tell me if I get this wrong, 27 million or something like that. Is that one, wrong? 7 million, the other was 33 million. There right. you go. There you go. I did see that. <laughs> but to be clear, they're both business breakup cases they both involve fraud, breach of fiduciary duty. My clients were victimized. Um, I had the privilege of working with the FBI to put people in prison in the first case. Um, I, I also exposed in a related matter, um, the largest Ponzi schemer in the history of the state of Florida, Scott Rothstein, who's a billion dollar Ponzi schemer. He's doing 45 years in prison. So when I say the words integrity-based human influence, you know, it, it, it's... It's not just a label, it's something I believe in very much. No, I want to get into that now, actually, in a bit more detail. But just before we do that, I just want to make a, a kind of note of what you said there. Because a lot of people that um, I speak to and work to, they and I get why this happens, but they, they don't want to go narrow. They kind of want to go and try and serve everybody. So instead of just starting a, a law firm that focused on the niche and the specific area that you did, they'll try and do something broader because they think psychologically or because of fear, if they go too narrow, they're not mm -hmm. going to get enough business. It's scarcity mindset. And I, yeah. the number of times I have to bash heads together. <laughs> it's like, hold on, you know, literally go, you know, one inch wide and a mile deep. And that's yeah. where you're going to find the gold. But you just described that well. So I just wanted to, again, reference that for the listeners because it was a really nice yeah. articulation of that. Thank you. All right, let's get into what you're doing now. Because uh, obviously you said you had the idea a number of years ago around um, this integrity-based human influence, but you've now got, a business, and I want you to explain what it is actually. It's called Unblinded, and I want to kind of get into this this thinking around. You know, you've, it's described here as disrupting the world of sales by teaching this this concept. The most effective way to guide someone from hello to yes with less friction, less frustration, and less time. So let's let's get into that if we can. Take me through the the thinking, your belief around that, and and what it actually is. 
Yeah. So as I mentioned, 23 years ago, when I have my dream job at that law firm and I realized that sales matters, um, I was horrified. And that original work with Tony Robbins helped me reframe the dynamic of what selling means. Um, And I realized that it was about an exchange of value, that it was um, unveiling of truth, that it was no different than communication. Like all communication is influence. Mm. You know, whether we're hoping to um, have somebody laugh at a joke we tell, um, we are, you know, want to have pizza instead of anything, whether we want somebody to accept a gift from us. These are all concepts of influence. So that like reframed everything for me. And as I began to build the law firm, truly as an experiment to see if these things work, that first law firm, um, I, I realized that I needed to come up with a mechanism and I would read books on selling and I was horrified. Um, I would read books about closing and what would pop for me is would I want like my mom to be closed? Would I want to be closed? So I started to think about the language of selling, the concepts of selling. And as I read more people's work and dug more and more into the integration of what selling at its best would be, pause, like clearly you're an incredibly intelligent person and I'm not using platitudes. You succeed in private equity. You have crisp, linear thinking, wisdom, success. So somebody watching your podcast, like that would be a good idea to do. You know, there's a lot out there. You separate yourself and you can feel that immediately. The questions you ask, the depth of thinking, your success track record, your intentionality about life. So is it a moral responsibility for you, Nick, to share that with people? And then how do you do that in a way that isn't about you? Meaning, is it, you know, people say, don't talk about yourself. People say, don't be salesy. I agree with all that, sort of. And I believe that if somebody doesn't know who you are, who your listeners are and what they're great at, who I am and what I, with humility, am great at, then how do they make a decision? They're going to choose the wrong lawyer. They're going to choose their own uh, mentor, business coach, accountant, speaker, player for their team. Like, how do you discern this? So to me, what influence became about was about the unveiling of truth. Truth. And um, I put a, a formula together for it. And I was solving for it for many years. And it has four steps. It has 10 indispensable elements. It has four energies. And it's the integration of these dynamics that make it a truly authentic, heart-centered, um, but clear mechanism for succeeding. And, it's, and it works inside of a courtroom with a jury, a judge. It works with your family. It works with selling a product, creating strategic alliances or ecosystem mergers, as I would call them. And that's the passion of my life, is how people unveil truth. So the wrongdoers, the people that are manipulating and lying, don't succeed and the people who are polite, loving, kind, hardworking, respectful, and amazing, who've been taught a different set of manners and live with inside of boxes that um, they're not quite sure how to get out of, how they could find their way out of it to have the world realize their greatness. And that's my life's work. Man, that's a mission, a vision and a mission. (laughs) (laughs) What I want to do, listen, I'm going to make sure that people can kind of connect with this in the show notes and all those sort of things. But 
I just want to go a little bit deeper if we can, because you said yeah. there's a model and there's there's pieces of this of how it comes together as simply as we can, because I like people to listen to this and be able to reflect and then be able to reflect and apply. So take us through the model. Take us through how it works. Sure. So um, I, I guess the, the presupposition is that if you're going to do anything, you know, I was an athlete growing up and there was a, a model and a formula for how you hit a baseball, how you caught a football, how you tackled somebody, et cetera, right? So um, I believed in formulas. Now, I also believe that when people operate in formulas, there's a gap in inauthenticity that can occur. So to solve for that challenge as well. So like, if the outcome is to go from hello to yes, how do you do it authentically? And how do you do it in integrity, right? So that's what the model's about. So there's four steps. And those four steps very rapidly are the opening of listening at step one, the creation of emotional rapport, not surface rapport, not real rapport, emotional rapport. So how do you not um, function as Charlie Brown's teacher did, saying want, 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 want people? And I believe it is the, there's a sequencing for how to do that. If you listen, if you study the work of NLP, it'll, it'll tell you to build rapport. Um, with respect, it'll, it'll stop at dynamics like matching and mirroring, find something in common. And so when I encountered that work 20 years ago, I, I was frustrated. I wanted something that was infinitely more predictable and completely authentic. So I have five sequencing series of questions in emotional rapport building that work every single time and rule structures, like only ask open-ended questions, don't ask any closed-ended questions, um, et cetera. So there's a formula, right? For step one of emotional rapport building to open listening of people. Because without the creation of blank space, people think they've heard what you're saying before. I say sales and people conjure up immediate images. You know, the work of Malcolm Gladwell and Blink uh, shows us so much in the, the scientific studies he cites there that people immediately draw conclusions. So we have to like erase that if we are truly unique and different. So emotional rapport building is about opening the listening and heart so people are present to congruent uniqueness. So the outcome of emotional rapport building, congruent uniqueness so they become curious. Like that's step one. Cool. I'll go can we that. just can pause there quickly because I have one question sure. for you. Because yeah. the, the piece around heart and, and heart-led thinking and all that sort of stuff, do you find that anyone who comes into what you're doing now, do you find that's the hardest thing to be able to connect people with? Or do you find, because when I work with people, sometimes it's very easy to be rational, yeah. but to trust your intuition and to bring both of those things together, I, I, I see that or I have seen that as being one of the biggest challenges. Yes. So I agree with you completely, Nick. And I find that there's, there tends to be two camps. There's the camp of the beautiful seeker who is desiring personal development or who hasn't quite succeeded in business or financially, and they're seeking it open in their heart, and or they've left uh, and made a transition from you know, some level of economic success, and now they're in their heart, and they're like completely disconnected from money and growth on the one hand. On the second hand, um, I find people who are just like, you know, me, 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 they'll say differently, but in their, in their, in their head, like, how do I make things happen for me, right? So I agree, it, it, it's hard to connect. But what I would also say is that for folks in finding their space into their heart, I believe this to the core of my existence, that everybody makes decisions emotionally. Mm. And, and, and the most rational of people are actually protecting themselves from their greatest fears. And so they're still emotionally driven. They're still fear driven, right? And they're claiming 
to be rational, but in fact, they're completely in their own nervous system dealing with their pain just like everybody else. So I am clear that I'm emotionally driven. I am crystal clear. I just want to be mindful of how to leverage my own emotions to create the outcomes that make the most sense for my journey and my mission. Yeah, wow. So the reason I wanted to probe that also is when I went and did the UPW experience with Tony, the thing that got me, because I was kind of there, I was in my head when I first showed up. I can still remember it as clear as day. But what got me was when we did the, you know, the brainwave and the heart wave coming together piece. And when we did that, um, a a voice came into my head, which was trust yourself, Mm. trust yourself. It just came. It was a gift, right? A massive gift. But I don't think I'd ever connected like that. Or I must have done it in certain times with my kids being born or whatever. But to be able to do it and understand its its power was the thing that made me shift. Amazing. Congratulations on it and on that journey. Yeah. Yeah, it's been great. Okay, cool. Awesome. Let's get into step two. Okay. So step two, very, uh, not very simply, it's, it's the most complex of the four steps is if nothing is at stake for people and they're not connected to the potential loss of what's at stake relevant to what you're doing, nothing's going to happen, right? Or not nothing, but so much less frequently is something going to occur because people do more to avoid pain than gain pleasure. So simply step two is to connect people to their pain and discover their yes strategy for solving their relevant pain for whatever it is that you do, right? So example, if, if it's about raising money for charity and it's like, you know, hey, this is a great cause. Um, I'm, I'm involved with Operation Underground Railroad. Um, and, you know, of course it's a good thing to free women from sexual slavery and these horrors that happen. If we're not present to what's at stake for us, you know, our mission, our vision, our way to feel like a sense of contribution, even significance, if we're not present to that reality and the passing opportunity in a moment, potentially to give in a room full of people giving, as an example, let's say we're at Tony Robbins event, um, and everybody's, you know, in that potential mindset of giving, if we're not connected to how it serves us, as weird as that may sound, nothing happens. So step two is all about putting what's at stake for the person related to the ultimate ask that you're going to be having. That's really what step two is about. I can see why it's complex because the natural question that comes is how do you do that? How do you facilitate that? Yeah. So I'd be happy really quickly. So let's say that the question is, um, I'll just do it. Yeah, please do. Please do. Yeah. Yeah. So um, let's say uh, I just did it yesterday with somebody. So I'm also involved with the American Foundation for the Blind. I'm on their board. Um, as a, you know, a blind man. So a a beautiful, brilliant soul who works for the AFB, the American Foundation for the Blind, did an incredibly heart-centered presentation about the plight of the blind in America. And and we were role-playing it on the show that I do. And I said, you know, how does that resonate with you? The judge, the one judge, and they're like, well, it was beautiful. I'm like, don't lie. They're like, I don't really care. You know, and I'm, I'm condensing a few questions. Yeah, yeah. And, like, oh, like, and I said, no, no, of course they don't care. Because we hear about problems and pain every day. So what didn't happen, you know, I was just coaching the person, is you didn't share, ask them, hey, like, what's life about? Da, da, da. Where have you been? Where are you? Where are you going? Ultimately, what's working? What are the challenges? That's the sequencing of emotional rapport. Once we have that answer, my second question, so I'd, I draw clarity on that, like people's mission, their vision. Then, and most people are going to say they want to contribute. They want to create beautiful things in the world. And the question would be, hey, how's that going? Well, it's going great. And 
you know, I'm doing a few things. I'm always looking to do more. I'm looking for causes, missions. And hey, really? Like, cause some people say that, like, is that really at stake for you? So step two is about clarifying. And, and hey, you know, like Nick, if, if that doesn't happen, like, does it matter a lot? Or is that like, you know, doesn't really matter. Like, oh no, no, it matters to me. Like it, why? Like my legacy, my vision, my mission, amazing. And so what I'm hearing is that you're really looking to solve huge problems in the world and support and help people. Yeah, of course. And like, and what do you look for in those missions and outcomes? Well, I, I look for, for, I guess, big impact. I look for causes that matter. I look for, you know, et cetera. And now you've put something at stake. Like they, they care. You've supported them, clarifying their strategy. I did that incredibly quickly. That might sound more like five minutes than, you know, 30 seconds. Um, and then it comes into, hey, step three, could I share a little bit about myself and what I'm up to? Yeah, sure. Well, you know, I'm a blind man. And then the story comes in, the heroic, unique identity story um, about who somebody is, what they're up to in the world and their products or services, and how that, that integrates into solving some of the pain or challenge for the person at step two. So once something's at stake, the idea of contribution, mission, legacy, looking for great causes, and now at step three, somebody is satisfying that with their, their story of a heroic unique identity, the plight of Helen Keller and launching the AFB, a 75% unemployment rate for the blind, the personalization of the person telling the story. Most importantly, though, how that's a beautiful mission that you can become involved in and feel amazing and create impact. Now somebody has something at stake and they were stepping into that framework integrously, truly what they want. They do want to do big things in the world. They do want to solve for problems. Well, here's a beautiful problem for you to solve in a way for you to meet some of that need that you have, that wanting that you have very sincerely. And that's step three is them seeing that story and vision. Step four is agreement formation. What other people call closing, I call agreement formation, um, which is how do you have the conversation about asking for that yes, um, doing it authentically, integrously. So those are the four steps. Remember, while those four steps are occurring, there's 10 circulating indispensable elements to make sure we maintain things like scarcity, matching and mirroring, acknowledgement, level five transformational listening, loving people with unconditional boundaries, emotional energetic transference, reciprocity, the quality of uh, powerful questions, open and closed-ended and when to use them, validation and congruence. So those 10 smaller QVCs, the acronym, those 10 indispensable elements circulating those four dynamics, four energies present the entire time, fun, aspirational, dot Zeus, those are the four interwoven varying energies to make all that work. And that's the model. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> now I know why it's your life work, Sean. So uh, how, I mean, there's a lot that's gone into that, a lot of thinking, a lot of depth. And I, and I love that, actually. I love, I love deep questions as well. I like, I like going because I think you, you can work out where people are at from that. But how, I'm going to ask a very simple question, but it has, it has more to it. How, how long did it take you? <laughs> to to get to that i mean you know mastery is repetition and we got to, we all understand that but there's an insight at the beginning but you've, you've obviously layered that and layered that and, and 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 to say perfected it or certainly moved it on to where it is how long did that take um it never stops yeah. so I, I've been 23, <laughs> 23 years brother and um it continues to expand you know so so for example loving people unconditionally with boundaries is one of the indispensable elements and it has its own sub framework. Um, so, you know, each component 
we can rise in our mastery. And I believe in the exponentiality of things. In the case, it sounds like, oh my God, like I wouldn't even go near that. It starts with just learning those four steps and then learning like the four energies, then learning the 10 indispensable elements. And, you know, it, so it's a building process, but people just being in the four steps themselves creates a massive differential for folks. So it's a layering of mastery in the work that we do with people and how we teach it. Um, but it's real. I mean, I, I've taught it to um, thousands of people for sure. Um, and, you know, I've, I've taught it to employees. I've taught it to partners. I've taught it to people in programs. So it's a real thing. Like people that work in my law firm know the formula. They know the four steps. They know ten. Like it's a part of life. Like it's like what we do. It's funny. It's it's funny when I have conversations on this podcast and there's a little bit of serendipity that plays in because I talk about customer creation. So mm. I talk about you no longer win customers, you create them. How do you create them? Not 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 in the same in depth way that you just described your life's work, but there are so many different tangents and plays in there because I often say. I don't sell anything. I invite people to participate. Yeah. You know, I, and, and, and if it works for them, I even, I even do things where if it's not right for someone, I say that as well. I'm very, very clear on that. Yeah. But what happens is I get to work with people that I love to work with. I get to offer value. They enjoy the whole process. So the whole thing becomes really fun. And because it's fun. Sorry. Yeah. Super. No, thank you. So yeah. opening question for me and working with a lot of folks, I asked this question today in somebody I was going to potentially hire. I said, do you love people? And the answer was yes. And I said, but I mean, really, or at the very least, are you incredibly committed to realizing that everything that people will do is either an act of love or a cry for help? And when people engage in consistent cries for help, we need to have effective boundaries for sure, right? So I put people in prison and you know, we get divorced from people that are dangerous and you know, bad for sure. Like, but do you really love people and or are you really committed to, to loving people? Because if you're not, like, there's no space in our working together. And that's not a bad thing. I'm, I'm, but I, I promise you, if you're not ready to open your heart and your thinking to this concept, then we don't, like, we're at a non-starter. And we'll, we will waste each other's time. And it'll be frustrating for me, but it'll be worse than you because you're going to be leaving a job, coming to a job. Like, it's crazy. So I, I really do pre-frame all this in the desire for loving people. And listen, I put people in prison. I'm incredibly aggressive and assertive with um, disrupting, uh, you know, those dynamics that are intellectually dishonest, have integrity. So, you know, loving people doesn't mean you're soft, right? Um, but loving people in your heart fundamentally is an essential for integrity-based human influence. And to me, ultimately leading a life that's at peace and happiness. Yeah, I agree. What are your, um, if you might, don't mind me asking, what are your values, Sean? So um, there's, I have a lot to, to share in this space. So my first value, it's going to sound odd, right, is creating magic. And these are intentionally selected um, um, words with definitions. So when I say creating magic, um, I don't think magic is about trickery. It's about a beautiful state that feels at a, a wildly meaningful vibrational level. Um, the creation of what will in the future be a nostalgic memory, a beautiful memory, like moments. So magic, the creation of, um, with integrity, um, finding magic everywhere, like breathing can be magical, you know, being on, spending this time together can be magical. So it's, it's not just the value to, in addition to the value, it's also the rule structure for the fulfillment of the value. 
Um, love um, is of extraordinary importance to me. Family, team of incredible importance to me. Faith is of incredible importance to me. You know, my, my and I cast no judgment. You know, I, I have a charitable Christian foundation and I support all sorts of, you know, other, um, everything I support, in fact, is as non-Christian causes. So I believe in um, that I will someday meet God and I'll be responsible for my talents. And I didn't want to bury them or squander them. I want to expand them. So faith uh, is an extraordinary value of mine as well. Awesome. No, I just, I just wanted to, I just got a sense. I wanted to ask you that question because a lot of what you've talked through today, I, I, it's funny because I, I'm very clear on my values as well. And I find that the more that you are in touch with those, the more you can bring them both into all your relationships, work, family, friends, or whatever else. It just starts to get that congruence and that authenticity, which you've got heaps of. No. Listen, I'm, I've got, hey, I want to. Can I say one last thing? So sure, I, yeah, just, yeah. I am wildly imperfect. I have made more mistakes uh, than I have done things right. And in all these beautiful words, like living consistently with all of these principles is, is not easy, right? And I certainly don't perfectly. I feel stress. I feel aggravation. I say things I wish I didn't say, but I apologize freely. Um, I seek true north and fairness and equity in every resolution to disagreements or conflicts that I have. So I just want to share that. Like, you know, we, had a, we, we share beautiful space and it feels like a little bit too perfect. Like I am far from perfect. I've made a lot of mistakes. No, so. no, no. Trust me. There are, there are regular listeners to this show that know that I'm not. <laughs> and as I said, I've had, I, I love having amazing conversations with people, but it's the rawness of everything. So I think people, people kind of get that there's, there's a story behind the story. And most people who have got to some level of success have had their failures, had their learning experiences and everything else. So I, I, get, I get a sense of that. I just want to play with a, lot, a couple of things. You've been very um, generous with your time. So thank you very much, Sean. But I want to, because it was kind of, you know, in the intro I said beforehand about being an adventurer, I mean, what else do you do? So we talked a lot about work today. We talked about entrepreneurship. We talked about your story, but I just want to get a bit more of a sense of who you are. What else do you do? Uh, do you do crazy adventure things? <laughs> yeah. So, um, I, yeah, I, by, by most accounts, um, yeah. I think it would be, but, you know, uh, so I surf, um, I surf, awesome. regularly. I surf in bad weather. I surfed today, you know, I will surf later today. Um, um, I swim and scuba dive with sharks. Um, I will, you know, I've been in the water with a hundred sharks at one time, not in an isolated moments. Um, happy to do it. I free dive. Um, you know, I free dive and touch the coral reef, uh, at 85 feet depth with, with no supportive equipment, um, involved. Um, I ski double black diamonds. Um, I ski them. You can see videos of that online. Um, you know, find them. I think of me, I don't have them all labeled, but probably <laughs> I ski double black diamonds hard with audio assist. You know, my son guiding me, um, at speed, I have done ice climbing. Um, I have not gone skydiving. Um, I've done cliff jumping. Um, I am, I, so somebody might say, so you're like an adrenaline junkie. I would say, no, like I, those are the things I truly enjoy. I don't look for new adrenaline filled dynamics. I love being in the ocean. I love paddling out. Um, I love that sense of, you know, Hey, this is uh, like raw. You're in nature. You're challenged. You're challenging yourself and your limits. You know, I jump in the ocean and it's 44 degrees Fahrenheit, which I think was like six degrees Celsius or something like that. Um, in the winter, you know, I, I, if I'm at my beach house, I go in the Atlantic ocean period. Like that's what happens, you know? And so I, I live a life challenging my nervous system, but also 
not doing things just to do them, but that I really love and enjoy. I love yeah. energy. I love passion. I love sharing with people I love. <laughs> Sounds like a guy who just likes to live life to the full to me. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. So to finish off um, with this today or tonight, as it is here in the UK, do you have a final message or anything that you would give to people who are on their entrepreneurial journey? Maybe a piece of advice that you've lived by that's been the most poignant for you and the most um, impactful for you. Yeah. Um, thank you. I think having the courage to work with people to step into their greatness and for you to share yours, um, I think is where the magic truly begins. Um, you know, the first time I stepped on Tony Robbins stage, I hid, I did a good job and everybody told me I did well. The, and, and I was not even a fraction of what I could have been because I was hiding and playing a role. The fourth time I stepped on the stage, I had the privilege of supporting the highest level of platinum partnership sales ever at an event, um, following my talk. And I had the entire room, you know, um, volcanically responding um, with yeses to what I was sharing because I stopped hiding. I wouldn't have served Tony Robbins. I wouldn't have served that room. I wouldn't have served myself. And just one example, by not stepping into my greatness and encouraging others to step into theirs. So I would say that, and that life's all about um, influencers, which we all are, influencing influencers to merge ecosystems, to join forces and add value to one another. For one plus one equals a trillion relationships, or at least like 10, because there's a lot more than two, to make the world an even greater place. And I think from that place and stepping into that leadership, you can create anything you want. And I really appreciate you, Nick. Man, I love that. I think we'll finish things up on that tonight. I, I couldn't have uh, asked for a better finish, mate. So thank you so much for coming on Scale Up Your Business. It's been an absolute pleasure and a delight speaking with you today. Well, thank you, Nick. Appreciate all you. And we're done. Well, Nick, thank you for your time. Um, oh, that was great. I was going to mention very quickly, um, again, serendipity is a bit weird, but I'm speaking to Jay Abraham at the moment about coming on the podcast too. And that's only, that's only been a recent conversation, actually. I'm not sure if it's confirmed yet, but yeah, that was literally in the last couple of weeks. I didn't realize that you had a, a uh, you knew of him or had a relationship with him as well. Oh my so. goodness. Jay, Jay, please send my love to Jay. And I'll mention that you and I were just chatting. Um, I owe Jay and I um, need to have a, a conversation. So he was on... I do something called The Real Raw, and Jay yeah. was on my Real Raw um, a week ago. And um, he and I just are overdue to talk. So we're texting over the weekend, and we need to schedule a call for this. Wow. So yeah. funny. <laughs> yeah. and, it, it, and Nick, if you ever want to come on The Real Raw, we have a lot of fun. You're more than welcome. Yeah, no, I'd love that opportunity. It'd be great. And I've enjoyed this immensely, mate. Fantastic story. And like, really just, you know, I, I'm always in awe of people who kind of, when they've got so many different challenges, I get where it comes from because, you know, I also believe that the the gifts that we get are that come from our biggest challenges, but it's always inspiring to hear, hear those. And I know that the people who listen to the podcast are going to get that same message. So awesome. Thank you very much. Well, I appreciate you enormously and anything I could ever do. I'm here, sir. Okay. Likewise. All right. Have a good day. Enjoy that surfing. I'm jealous because I'm, I used to live in Bondi, mate. I was on the surf all the time. <laughs> <laughs> well, you surf someday, but thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.